Matthew 1.18, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, being her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yahushua, or Jesus, which means God our Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done in a micro fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and this would be Isaiah 7, written 730 years before Jesus came, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Try that word. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So now you got more in you than that. Emmanuel. Beautiful. Emmanuel, and it tells us here, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Yahushua, Jesus. Pray with me, please. God, redeem every second. Let this be perfect time spent. And I just love you, and I thank you. Bless, bless, bless this time. And Lord, I just pray that here in this room, there would not be a person that would escape what it is you want to see. <coughs> so Lord, have your way now. I love you, Lord. I pray you would immerse me in your spirit and come upon me, that you would speak to me, Lord, in a way that really gets into our hearts, and that we really hear you tonight. Lord, save, equip, challenge, and really bring us to that place where we're like, wow, in Jesus' name. Amen. Say today, if there would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your final say. No. You can learn a lot about someone by the presents they give. It's Christmas. Tomorrow you'll be opening up Christmas presents. Maybe even tonight for some of you. For some of you, you're real excited about opening up that thing and discovering socks. Uh, some of you, you know, it's like what kind of person that loves you gives you clothes. But you kind of realize that you can learn a lot about a person by what they give you. There's the outsiders, and the outsiders will just give you something, to be honest, that's general, doesn't matter who you are. That's the gift basket. It's the thing with cheese and sausage. Unless you really love cheese and sausage, you know the kind of thing where you buy by bulk and then send out to every person? You know, <coughs> I'm not dissing that, but I'm just telling you that kind of tells you where you're at with that individual. You just kind of bought something that you kind of know, hopefully they'll like this. Hopefully they're not vegan for the sausage pack, that kind of thing. But then there's kind of the insider. Now the insider, on the other hand, well, they kind of know something on the surface. So they kind of know, okay, well, you know, there's, he kind of plays golf, he's into pandas, you know, or she's into pandas, he's a Chelsea fan. I mean, something that takes a little bit of knowledge. You have to be around a little bit, but not much. Just kind of know the icons of the person. You know, in the second case, maybe you'd realize that you'd buy Deborah something that's Italian and real Italian, not just fake Italian. But, you know, maybe in a case with, you know, with Bruno, with Bruno or with Hugo, you'd buy them something that involves food, you know, because they like to eat. Now, you get there first. I recognize this with hanging out with the guys at U-Turn, that steaks are a pretty popular item. i got to learn that. But then you get a step beyond that. There's the outsider, and then the insider, and then there's the intimate. Now, the intimate, on the other hand, is more than just knowing a surface like. At this point, they know what your soul craves. 
Now it's not just that you like to eat, but it's the specific restaurant that they like. It's the specific place they've dreamt of going. It's the specific song that really makes it impacts them. It's those kind of things that you know is going to actually get into the heart of hearts. Now that's an intimate gift, and that's different, of course, from socks. Well, unless you really love socks. In which case, maybe that is the thing. And the reason I say that is, is that this Christmas is supposed to be a celebration of Jesus' birthday. Not the celebration of yours, unless you were born on the 24th or 25th. And my question to you is, what would you get Jesus? Which circle do you want to be in? Do you want to be on that one that's sort of the outsider? It's like, I would just give him what I would give anyone. Whatever I would give my bros, man, that's what I would want to give him. Or do you want to be somebody on the inside? Well, I think he probably likes something religious. Those of you who are walking with Christ, you know that person that's trying to connect with you on that? They buy you something like a crucifix or like Mary Holy Water or something, and you're like, oh, thanks. Because they're really trying to connect with you, but they don't know well enough what they're doing yet. Or do you want to be the person that actually is intimate with God and gives him what he really, really wants? Well, if I'm to take a look at God through his track record, what is it that really Jesus well, that God himself shows that he really, really wants. I think it's all wrapped up into that word, Emmanuel. Im, by the way, is Hebrew for in, or I should say, with or among. Manu, which is a pronominal suffix, if you will, uh, pronominal suffix, and it really just kind of means us, or and a general kind of idea of that. And then El, of course, like Elohim or Eloha, means God. So in the simplest sense, as we even saw translated in front of us, Emmanuel means God among us, or God with us. And I don't have to look far in Scripture to realize this is the one thing God always wanted. I mean, in the very beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. And, and, and unique to all of creation, God forms man, breathes life into man, very different from any other thing. And starts man's life with a relationship. He didn't say man be, and there was. Man's first cognizant moment, his first breath that he breathed, was staring into the face of God. And then, God's like, you know what? I'm taking tomorrow off. Let's just spend it together. But then it becomes a problem. And you only get one chapter before man chooses sin. That which God tells him not to because love isn't love without a choice. But when he does, man runs. But God pursues. We read that God was walking in the cool of the garden. God didn't have to do that, but he did. And asking Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know, but Adam didn't. And now we have a problem. We have a pitifully sinful man and a perfectly holy God. And for God to be with me, one of the two has to change. Either God didn't give up his holiness, dirty himself up to be with sinful man, or me, I have to give up my sinfulness, clean myself up to be with a holy God. Here's the problem. This is the basis for all religions. All religions sit in the lap of this. And to be honest, all religions but the God of the Bible are all in the same, which is man makes the move. He tries to clean himself up. He tries to make himself better in hopes that somehow he can be good enough to be with a perfectly holy God. So play that out. You owe an insane amount of money. An obscene amount of money. But you decide from this point forward I'm going to pay my bills. Does that remove your debt? You commit a crime and you decide from this point on, I'm going to do nice things for people. Does it remove the fact that you have a warrant for your arrest? And this kind of logic doesn't work anywhere else, but we try to apply it to God and somehow we think it's going to work. 
This idea of, well, if I could just clean myself up enough and do enough, pray enough, give enough, <clears throat> make my trips enough, do whatever it takes, maybe then it would be good enough. But the problem is, Scripture makes clear, God never waited for you to clean yourself up. God went after you. And I realize the difference between Jesus of the Scripture, the God of the Bible, and the God of anything else, is that God came after you because you couldn't come after him. Now the problem is this debt. If we really are sinners, and the Bible makes clear every man has sin, no one's perfect. Well, he tells us the wage of that sin in Romans 6.23 is death. What we deserve is death. But I started to realize something. That God has this way of visiting people throughout Scripture. Three particular people I can't really bring up for a moment because it will only be in our text for a moment. But the three people that we might say are most high profile in all of the Old Testament are Abraham, Moses, and David. Have you noticed that in each one of those cases, prophet, priest, and king, God goes and he meets them. They don't go and reach out. What we read about Abraham at the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, is that Abraham was in an idol-worshipping house. Abraham did nothing to deserve God coming to him. But Abraham was an old man hungry for a child, and he had a need. He had a vacancy, an emptiness. And God came and met Abraham to call him out to meet that need. Abraham did nothing for it, nor did he chase God to get it. God came to him, saw him at his need, met him at his emptiness, and called him out of it. Then we get to Moses. And in Moses' case, again, God meets Moses. Moses doesn't crawl after God, but God comes down again. But God meets him more than just at his emptiness, but at his bondage. It tells us, by the way, for what it's worth in Exodus 3, is God is speaking to Moses. He is saying, I've heard their cries, I've seen their torment, and I know their pain, so I have come down to deliver them. See, God saw at the need, at the bondage, and if you recognize bondage that you're in, you recognize that trying to crawl out of that is sort of like somebody telling you to swim harder when you're drowning. It's almost cruel. Actually, let's be honest, it is cruel. Because you know you're drowning, and you're just trying not to die, and someone says, come on, God, The problem is for some of us that's clear, but for some of us it isn't as clear, but truth be told, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, whoever sins is a slave to it, we are all addicts. We are all slaves to sin. And unless, we, unless God moves out that bondage to deliver us out, we're helpless. The same way that a drowning man cannot find the shore without help. To be honest, not just help, but without rescue. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because that takes humility. There's a part of it, I mean, we talk often about that as a lifeguard, as a former lifeguard. <clears throat> when you watch a guy starting to go down, you don't jump in right away. Even though at that moment he's a little nervous and he's trying to stay afloat because he'll pull you down. Because at that moment what he's looking for is help. When a man is looking for help and he's drowning, he's a danger to every person around him. But, the moment he realizes he's drowning, he asks for more than help. He asks for rescue. Jesus is not our help first. First, he is our rescue. And that takes humility. Or we try to drag Jesus down with us. And that's a really foolish thing to do. Interesting, when God meets David, there's a lot of places we can think about it from where we're following the sheep and there, God meets David and calls him to be king. But I'd like you to realize the most profound place where God meets David is actually 2 Samuel 11. 
David supposing to be, or was supposed to be, in the battlefield. He already had a fight due him with the Syrians, with the people beyond the Jordan, because of chapter 10. The Ammonites had hired the Syrians, and they had gone after and shamed David after the king of Ammon had died, and his son took his place. David sent them to comfort him, and the guys assumed instead they were staking the place out. So there was a battle that ensued. David, of course, became quite victorious. By chapter 11, he was supposed to be out in that battle again. But instead, he was in his palace, in the comfort of his own home, instead of out in the field. And when he was in his home, he saw a woman bathing. Now, if you know the story, Bathsheba's her name, you realize, we kind of go by a three-strike policy, although one strike's enough. She is the wife of his bodyguard. Bad idea. She is also the granddaughter of his chief counselor. Really bad idea. And and her name is daughter of a covenant. Three strikes. That should be, any one of those should be enough to go, no way. But when David takes her and lays with her, she becomes pregnant. And then he tries to make it look like her husband did it. Brings her husband back. He's too noble even to be with his wife. And I've got a real problem on his hands. He has the husband murdered so he can look like a good guy marrying this woman, but he did not please God. David would write in the Psalms, When I kept silent, my bones grew dry like dust, like the drought of summer, until I confessed my sin to you. Hiding that sin and walking around with it just erodes your soul and dries you up to kill you. And David was feeling that. His sin was taking him down. And God sent a prophet in God's name to nail him on that sin. And David's response to that, in that altercation, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose iniquity the Lord will never count against him. David went from being dry and desperate and angry. Though on the outside he may have looked okay, but on the inside he didn't. But God meant David had sin. And meaning David had a sin. God called it out so that he could forgive it and set David free. Now I'd like you to consider God in every one of these cases came after him. He came after the man in his greatest need. He came after the man, if you will, at least that way we can see sort of the storyline goes. He came after a man in his bondage, he met him there, and he came after the man who was deep in his sin. And might I say in the same way that God has come after you. The whole story of the Christmas story is one of God coming to earth to come for you. The problem with all of these men is that God would come and visit and leave. And it wasn't permanent. It was only permanent to the situation. And we wanted more. But God set a precedent. And the precedent is that he would make the move. He would initiate. He would come at my emptiness, at my need, at my bondage, at my sin. And I need permanent conquering. In Leviticus 23, God taught me about a day called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, a priest offered a sacrifice, an innocent animal, to die <coughs> instead of a man for his sins. And what's interesting is, is that every year people looked and held their breath as that man went in there praying for that covering. But each year that would have to happen. It wasn't permanent. Every year, 
I mean, let's face it, if you kind of live that life, what happens is the Day of Atonement's a pretty awesome day until night comes and then you sin again and you go, I can't wait for the next Day of Atonement. But Isaiah promised us in Isaiah 7 that God would do more than visit, but God would be with us. And that's the whole point. Is I ache for more than a visit. I ache for permanence. And the beautiful part about it is that is something God built in you and He built in me. God wants to be with you, not for a visit. God wants to be with you, not just for something, a, a box to tick, but He wants to be with you forever. And He wants to start now. And Isaiah 7, Ahaz, King Ahaz of the South, is also being troubled. And God says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign that I'll permanently deliver you. In Isaiah 7.14 it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name God with us. And there are people that would like to say, well, that word for virgin is the word for maiden. But then you imagine, it's like, here's a miracle. A young girl is going to get pregnant. How is that a miracle? Anyway, she gets it. And what I see throughout Scripture is that God is always the one going to make the initiation. In Ezekiel 34, God passes judgment on the bad shepherds. And even in the bad shepherds, God says, I myself will search out my sheep. I will seek out my sheep. I will deliver them. I will bring them out. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them. I will feed them and cause them to lay down and bind up the broken and strengthen what is, or strengthen what is sick. I get the idea that God is always the one making the move. The question is, are you happy with God as a visitor? Or do you really want this as the permanence God wants? So before, by the way, for what it's worth, before the shepherds, before the wise men, before Herod's fury and the holly and the ivy was a promise, and that promise germinated in a Jewish girl that was betrothed to a decent Jewish man 2,000 years ago. And it tells us this, the birth of Christ back in our text was as follows. There was a girl, and she was a virgin, and in that country, if she had gotten pregnant, according to Leviticus, she was in a lot of trouble. And what was clear and evident in all of this, is that though she had been in this place, the Deuteronomy 22 and 24 made clear that a pregnant and betrothed girl was as much as adultery, and that was punishable by death. The offended party, who was the husband-to-be, was always the one to cast the first stone. The most offended was always the one to strike first. Listen to that again. The one most offended was the one to make the first move. Joseph, we read, is a righteous person. God applauds him for this, and instead of making her a public spectacle by having her stone where he throw the first rock, he seeks to exile her quietly. The other option in Deuteronomy 24. And it's then that God meets him. And I remind you again, God has to make the move. In this, by the way, in this promise, this declaration is both the most intimate of desires and the most pragmatic and complete of solutions. I remind you what God really wants and how God is going to do it. What God really wants is to be with us. How God really wants it, it's all in our text. First of all, God's desire. His desire, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what God wants. God wants to be with you, not for a visit. Not just to kind of check in every once in a while. Hey, by the way, come and make sure that you're not going to go to hell and come visit my house once a week. That'd be awesome. Not at all. He compares himself to a bridegroom and boy am I thankful I see my wife more than once a week. <coughs> but that desire for God to be with us, something still has to be dealt with. And that's our sin. But in the same text, twice we read 
that his name is not only Emmanuel, but it's also Jesus. And Jesus, God our Savior, and it tells us because he will save his people from their sins. In this statement here, God makes clear his Christmas list. What he wants us to be with you. The cost of it was already paid by him. <coughs> the cost is to pay for that sin, and Jesus is the Savior and the payer of that sin. So, if I were to give God what he really wanted for Christmas, the one thing he really wants is me. If you were to give God what he really wants for Christmas, it's you, and he's already paid for you. He's already paid the bill. He came to seek and to save from the cradle to the cross to the crown. That was the root because he had a price to pay because the wage of sin is death and he paid that price for you on the cross. And if he came to save, then all I need to do is give God permission. Now let me ask you a question. Believe it or not, I'm almost done. Of course, I'm a pastor and a Calvary pastor, so almost done could be like Paul, halfway through Philippians. Halfway through he goes, finally. And he's halfway through the book. You can just find a bunch of books. You'll learn. But tonight, what if what we really started asking ourselves is, what is God, what do you really want? What do you really want tonight? I know that you would speak your name. Say, I want you. Not for a visit, not for a timeshare. I want you. As we sing, here's my heart, here's my life. Jesus takes it all. Have it all. It tells us this in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It tells us in John 3, 17, that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that He that, that the world through Him would be saved. It tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to wait for you to come to Him. He is looking for you. And all He's asking is your permission. Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find peace. <coughs> he's told us that there is still a battle, because on the other side of it is the thief, which he tells us in John 10, 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't even if you think, well, kill, then how does destroy work? I mean, if he's already killed me, and he already destroyed me, well, you, it doesn't say he comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. He comes to steal you away, kill you, and then use you to destroy others. There's the sad part. Because when I have come, they would have life and have it more abundantly. Interesting, Jesus, just before the cross, says in John 14, 3, I will prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you see Jesus' desire? It is to come and get you. He didn't even say, I will prepare a place for you, and don't worry, sooner or later, work your way up there. He's like, I'm going to come and get you. And I'm going to take you back because I really, really, really want is to be with you forever. Starting now. It tells us this in First Thessalonians about the Lord's return, starting in 4.16. That the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord to meet him in the air. And then it says, and therefore we will forever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let me ask you, do these words encourage you? It isn't just that he's going to pull you out of your debt 
Hey, you know what? I messed up my credit cards. This would be an awesome time for the Lord to come. He didn't say we'll forever be free from our credit card bills. We'll forever be free of aging. We'll forever be free of that nasty neighbor. We'll forever be free of that addiction. We'll forever be free of that person that's constantly bothering us. We'll forever be free of that heartbreak that we've had when I look back and I still think of that person back when I was seven and how my heart still broke. I mean, you don't get that. God's like, look at the one thing that's going to occur to you is we'll forever be with Him. And that's the one thing I want you to recognize that excites Him. Have you ever thought that you can actually put things... I mean, you know this. There's certain presents. Have you ever practiced? Do you practice that thing? Probably dangerous because this could get me in trouble here, especially with married couples. But you know that thing when you know you get something you don't really like, but you have to make it look like you liked it anyways? And you're like, oh, hey, oh, that's nice. Yeah, thanks. Oh, a glass bath. I love it. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Oh, look at my little pony pajamas. Yes. Oh, yeah, you think of everything. <laughs> and we can look at those kind of things, and you know, you have to kind of, because you really don't want to go, unless you're like my youngest, go, what the heck is this? What, like, what, part, what part of your insanity led you to think I would like this? Although most of us are thinking that it's something coming more polite. But you also may know the face of the thing, you actually nail it every once in a while, and they're like, yes, this is the thing. Could you imagine seeing God's face like that? And have him say, Yes! Finally! This is the thing. So on Christmas, on Christmas, He's going to open up what for me? A few prayers? Some church attendance? Do you realize what all those things are? <clears throat> the moment you bring those things out before God and you say, God, these are the things that should buy my merit, what you're saying is, look at all the things I've done without you that should make you want me. Isn't that sad? Because I, all I wanted, I created you to be with me, and you're trying to do things without me. How does that please me? So this Christmas, what if what you really gave God is actually you? To love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, or with your, all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Not just some of it. Not just the part that you think is good enough to not get you to hell. But the part that God really wants. And you open it up and you go, oh, this is it. Have <laughs> you ever got almost the gift? And I remember once someone actually, we had done a, a commercial in. They wanted to give us a present for Christmas, and they gave us a present that was sort of like this amazing stay at this amazing spa resort kind of thing. It was going to be the most amazing thing. But it was, it was in like one of those like Spanish islands, and I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. But they did my flights. So even though all of that was amazing, I couldn't afford the flights. So I was like, gosh, thanks so much. We're so close and so far. You know? I'm like, I wonder if I could put this on like Craigslist or something or Gumtree here, and you know, be like, somebody's going to buy this, right? But I'm like, you know, back then it was just like, oh my goodness, wow, love the thought. But perhaps you thought I was a pilot. And there are times where we're like, God, here's kind of some of me, and God's like, that's some cool, but Hollywood would be all the way cool. And I get to the end of the book. And when I get to the book of Revelation, do you know what it says at the end? 
Revelation 21.3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. Excuse me. And God will be with them and be the God. Do you know what God gets at the end? What he really wants, which is you. But why rip them off now? Why wait till then? Today is Christmas Eve. And under the tree, well, you know who hung on that tree. And under that tree, lay your life down. Say, Lord, if what you really want is me, well, that's what I'll give you. It tells us this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we are willing to confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised us from the dead, we'll be saved. God didn't make it difficult because God didn't want it difficult because he wanted you to say yes. And the simple thing is, yes is really easy. Three letters, one word, that's it. He's like, can I have you? Is that the way yes or no? Can I reinvent your life and make it beautiful? Can I start your life over with me at the beginning? Instead of trying to add me to where your life is right now and trying to make me an additive, but reinvent you from the beginning where it's just you and me. It's like bringing us back to Eden, back to Genesis too, and going, it's just you and me now. Let's start there before we add other things. So on this Christmas now, we're going to go to prayer. And in this prayer, I'm inviting you, whether you said yes to Jesus or not, Tonight, I'm going to do so much more than that. I'm going to do more than just, yeah, I prayed a prayer way back when, and that's kind of like, oh, you know what? Over 27 years ago, I said I do to my wife. But every day, I pray to do. Sometimes more than often, I'll be like, yes, I'll do that too. Anyway. <coughs> but the, you get this idea here that marriage is not just something you kind of said once, and then that's the end of it. That's the beginning of it. My whole life began that day. And we give you a chance whether you've said yes to Jesus way back when or just recently. Or maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And you're like, it can't be that simple. If God really wants this, why would he make it complicated? So tonight, if what the Lord really wants is you, will you give it? Or will you just say, but God, I would, I would give that to you, but does that ever work for you? Seems like, you know, I was really going to give you that gift you really, really wanted, but I really kind of decided not to because really, I think there's other things I'd rather do instead. Other things are more important. How's that going to be? So I want to give a moment of silence because, look, at the gospel goes forth. Jesus died on, your, on the cross for your sins. He was buried. And on the third day, just like Scripture promised, He rose again. And that resurrection offers you a brand new life. And I just want to say tonight, wouldn't it be amazing if every person in this room actually said yes to Jesus? And yes to more than just, hey, get me out of hell, please. But tonight, oh Lord, tonight, oh Lord, make me yours. I give you me, the one thing you really want. Will you pray with me? God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. Confirm the truth of what you've spoken. <coughs> <coughs> 
matter where we've come from before today. It doesn't matter where we've come from before we walked in these doors. What's clear and evident is right now, you have ordained this moment to put us in this place of making a choice. And that choice is one to say yes, not just to a get-out-of-hell-free card, but tonight it is a choice to give you our lives the one thing you really want. Where the one thing you created with a will and then invite us to hand that to you. Knowing that you who make all things beautiful and do all things well will only reinvent us greater than we can imagine. Think or imagine. So tonight in this room right now, don't let any of us throw out some lame excuse no matter how valid we think it is. But tonight, give us that go for it in our spirit. Give us that drive in our being. That tonight in this room we would say yes. Tonight in this room we would say, Jesus, I hand you me. Do with me as you wish. And if tonight you are, as I am, convicted to just hand over my life afresh and anew to the Lord. Then pray this prayer with me right now. God in heaven, I recognize the one thing you really want is me. My love. To love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. What you really want is me. So, tonight, here, as dangerous and as crazy as that may seem, I give you me. And I ask for you, tonight in this room, to change me. Change my appetites, my value systems, everything that would fight this commitment. And tonight on this, when we prepare to celebrate the birth of a God who came for us, Emmanuel, God with us. And being with us by being Jesus. God, our Savior, to save us from our sins so that our sins could be paid for. So that a perfectly, pitifully, filthy, sinful man could have his sin washed away. So that I could stand in the presence of a perfectly holy God. Because it's what you really want. So tonight I say yes. Accepting your gift confessing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and as much as I accept your gift, I give you me, the one gift you really want this Christmas and forevermore. So here I am, I'm yours now. Have me, please. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer tonight, no matter how your heart is racing, but you know this is right, I ask you to give a confident, resounding, Amen. Lord, you've heard us tonight. You've heard these yeses. And tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would do exactly that for us. Cement those convictions now in our hearts. As we sing one last song and dismiss, Lord, tonight, bless us with that, I pray. Give us the joy of your salvation. And let us truly celebrate you this Christmas. Even as you celebrate us in Jesus' name.